0: Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to our service tonight. First song will be number 747.
1: 747. Jesus is Lord. My Redeemer.
2: To reading tonight it will come from Acts chapter two, and I will be reading verses forty two through forty-seven from the ESV version. And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teachings, and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, when many wonders and signs uh, were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved.
0: Our song for opening prayer be number ninety-eight. Number ninety-eight. There is a name I love
1: to hear, I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me, it tells of, me of a Savior's love who died to set me free it tells me of his precious blood, the sinners perfectly Oh how I love Jesus. I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells a one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe, who any sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus, Because he first loved
3: me. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Lord today, and we thank you for allowing us to come together as a band of thy children tonight and sing and study a portion of your word. Dearly Father, we just ask you to please be with Brother Tom tonight, give him a ready recollection of the things that he has prepared. And Heavenly Father, may we, as students of your word, take the things that he says and apply it to our lives. Heavenly Father, that we can be the shining light that you would have us to be in this dark and cruel world. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that Jesus was so willing to come to this earth and live among men and die a cruel death on the cross that we can have a home in heaven someday if we're found faithful. Heavenly Father, we just know there's many on our prayer list here at the congregation and you know each and every one of them. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to heal them if it be your will. You know each and every one of their needs and we just put that before you. Heavenly Father, we also ask you to please be with all those that are grieving over loss of loved ones, especially the King family. Heavenly Father, just comfort them as only you can. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for everything you do for us, and we just ask you to go with us through this service, and everything that we do here will be in accordance with your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to mark your song
0: our song invitation after lesson, be number 580. 580. For a lesson, stand and sing number 479. 479.
1: I'm satisfied with just cars below a little silver and little gold. But in that city, when the rest will shine, I want to go. Silver line, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old, and someday yonder we'll never wander but walk the streets that are pure gold. stone. Poor or deserted or lonely, I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a robe, and a crown.
0: please
2: thank you brian it 's always a great song to think about our eternal home with the lord we 're doing a lesson series we started last uh, Sunday night we appreciated the area wide and, and um, those songs that were led in an encouraging time we 're talking about grace and rethinking grace it's uh, it 's kind of an interesting Subject for us in the church because we did not have the privilege of hearing many lessons on grace or the benefits of grace. And so I think as a result of that growing up in the church, we tend to maybe be anxious, worried, not confident of our salvation. And, and I, uh, it, it's disconcerting to me when I hear sometimes of our own brethren, maybe who are facing trials or uh, a, a near-death experience, maybe undergoing surgery, and they're just thinking, well, how do I know? What if something happens to me? Will I go to heaven? Am I am I really saved? And, and so I don't know how you feel personally about that, but I, I think we need to reach a point in our own spiritual life where we do feel confident. We feel joy. We feel excited, anticipate, and can see songs about being with the Lord and, and feeling that joy here on earth as we look forward to that future home. Paul said, I fought the fight. I kept the faith. There is. He didn't say there might be. Uh, I hope there is. There is laid up for me a crown. And so he was ready to, anxious to take that crown uh, and and enjoy his reward. So rethinking grace. I'm just asking each of you to join me maybe in a Uh, A walk through the subject where we can think about grace. How can we become more assured of our own grace and more joy-filled? How can we become more confident? And it took to such a point where we began to talk to others about our hope of salvation, maybe be more evangelistic and share with more people. Uh, we, We talked last week a little about Romans 5, 1 through 4, And we pointed out last time uh, we brought this lesson series and introduced it about three benefits found in that passage. Let's go back and read Romans 5, 1 through 4 again. I want to read that again. It's worth going back and visiting. So I'll give you a minute to turn in your Bibles to Romans 5. As we present this passage and then go back later in a few moments and look at Ephesians 2, I want to ask you, the listener, to do something tonight And I want you to read with a filter. I want you to think about, as we read both passages, the word faith. Faith. Where does faith play in our hope of salvation? Where does faith play in us looking forward to being with the Lord? I believe faith is important. It's the critical element in us longing for our new home. Faith draws us closer to the Father and maybe pulls us further away from the world. So let's read Romans 5, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to talk about three things that were promised that we pointed out last time. We talked about rethinking grace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that it says in verse 1: How have we been justified? By our Faith. We have to have faith. We've been justified by our faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, that is through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing our sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I want to talk about verses 1 through 4 very briefly. What are those three benefits, the three things that we receive in Romans 5, 1 through 4, the things that are offered us? Number one is peace in verse 1. We have been justified by faith, therefore we have peace. So I believe that if your faith is strong enough in Christ, if you put your trust in him, if you really believe what God says and you take his promises at face value, then it gives you a peace, a peace even in a troubled world, even when things around you. I think uh, uh, Glenn alluded to that earlier in in one of our Bible classes this morning. He was saying that things are swirling around us and seems to be out of control and rather chaotic, Brother Glenn. Uh, we're, we're disconcerted. We're concerned, alarmed. I talked to someone earlier this morning about uh, maybe a percentage of our own population in the United States of America that's on the verge of of warfare, civil war in our country. Yeah, it's that bad. But yet we, as God's children, by faith, have the benefit of peace. You feel it, peace? (laughs) even in the middle of chaos and turmoil and and a tumultuous uh, environment. I would suggest just from personal experience, maybe not watching the evening news. that might help you be a little more at peace. Number two, in verse two, it says that we rejoice. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. I see joy in that word. Do you? Number two. When we have faith in God and we hold firm to his promises, not only can we have peace, we can have joy. Joy. I want those things. How about you? Peace. Yeah, give me peace, give me joy. I'll take them any day. That would be great to be joy-filled. Finally, down in verse 4, we have... Uh, suffering. We don't like to suffer. None of us wants to suffer, but it's part of the human experience. God says, if you're on this planet, if you breathe air, if your heart beats, you're going to suffer. It's part of God's plan. He doesn't exempt us from suffering. And as a matter of fact, suffering produces strength. It produces endurance. It produces character. And look what all those things happen. You put those together. What does character produce? Hope, hope, You see, we long as a result of suffering for that home that God promises us. And that's why we sing, as Brian just led us, O land of rest for thee I sigh. When will that moment come? And so uh, we we sing various hymns that promise us of that eternal home. So three things that are promised in Romans 5, 1 through 4, if you're making notes tonight, just write down these three. One, it gives me peace by faith. And through that faith, I also can rejoice. I have joy. And finally, the third thing we're promised in verse 4, as a result of suffering, we have several things that are promised. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope. So peace, joy, and hope. I want Christians that are filled with peace. I want Christians that are joyful. And certainly, I want Christians that are full of hope for their eternal home, that God is able to deliver us. So now what I want you to do is shift over to Ephesians 2, which is our main text as we go through this lesson series. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to look at grace again. We're going to take one more look at it and think about grace. Now, my heading at the top of the Bible says grace through grace. You see, faith is that essential ingredient that's sort of a bridge that ties Romans 5 together and Ephesians 2 together that we'll never be assured of our own salvation unless we first have faith. Is God able to do what he says he will do? Will God keep his promises? Has God really made a home for me that will be an eternal home for those saved and washed in the blood of Jesus? Do I have faith? Do I have faith that God will look out for me and take care of me regardless of what I face on this earth? Do I have the faith that God will never allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able to bear? The answer to these things are yes. So let's read verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So here, here Paul is sort of phrasing this by saying, all of you, all of you brethren who are listening to this letter in the church at Ephesus, realize that you were once lost. You walked in the worldly things and followed the devil. And then he includes himself. He says in verse 3, among whom we, notice he's writing, so he includes himself, we all, this is me too, a a devout religious man, a zealous Pharisee. Paul says, I was also included in this. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Then I love verse 4, look what happens. But God. See, God entered the picture. But but. God has been there all the time, and he carried out his plan of salvation. This plan of salvation, we're told, was enacted before the first man was created. You see, there was a mutual decision between the Godhead, if you will, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that this creation they were about to make to breathe life into this creation would be saved because they were a fallen race, They would be saved by God himself who would come in the flesh and redeem them. And so it says here in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, past tense, in our trespasses, made us alive together. How? With Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, it is through Christ that He says that we were raised up. We were seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to point out in verse 6 that what the Lord is saying through the Spirit, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, is church, when you've been purified and cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus, it is at that moment, at that instant, by faith you have accessed this grace, God raises you up. God seats you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lost people don't sit with Jesus in heaven. We just don't. And so I want you to enjoy your salvation. I want you to be excited about your salvation. I want you to tell other people about your salvation. But why do so many of us, many of whom are not here tonight, worry about? their own faith and salvation. What can we do to change that? So it says in verse 7 that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result, verse 9, of works. So I want to stop kind of there tonight and talk just a little about this idea of works. First of all, can we enjoy being saved? I think absolutely, yes, we can enjoy being saved. We can celebrate and rejoice and feel joy in our hearts and tell other people that we are a child of God and that we're saved. Can we enjoy feeling so happy that we share that gift With others, that we tell others, I think that's sort of what God had in mind when he told us to go into all the world and teach the gospel, the good news. You see, we tell others good news. All of you ladies who are grandmothers, right? Have you got pictures of grandbabies in your house? Yes. Yes. Are you proud to show those to other people? Yes. Was that good news on the day you received a, a little grandchild into the world? Yes, of course. It's great news. You share it. You, you tell that to other people. You, you tell people over and over, have I showed you my grandchildren? Oh, yes, yes. You've showed. We show those over and over again because we're happy and excited and we want to tell other people. Why can't that be the case for our own salvation? We're excited and we tell other people, I'm so excited to be a child of God and the benefits of being in Christ. Except, here's the problem. You see, I think Satan, you know, he's been around for a long time, probably before any of us were created. Satan wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to doubt that all of your life. One of the saddest things I've ever witnessed is a person who's been a faithful member of the Lord's church that's near death. And they begin to weep and say, I just don't know. I just don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I'm like, wow. You went through your whole life and now you're near death and you're not quite sure you're saved? We should have fixed that a long time ago. What can we do To make you all here at Stroudsville joyful and happy and faith-filled and excited about going to heaven. You see, that would make us a very different congregation. And so, brethren, I guess I'm trying to say if I ever get invited to come to your bedside and you're not doing real well, please don't tell me you're not sure you're going to heaven. I'm like, we had a sermon about that a long time ago. Fix it now. Be happy now. Get excited about your salvation. Be joy-filled and happy. Remove those doubts that Satan plants in your mind, and he will. you believe that? He will. Now let's stop and rewind the timeline all the way back to the garden. God has instructed Adam and Eve to eat any fruit of the garden they want except... One, right? In the center of the garden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't have that one, God said. He was very clear, very clear. Eve knew, Adam knew, they all knew. There was only two people around. They knew, right? We can't have the tree in the center of the garden. But then the serpent came along, and he came to Eve, and guess what he did? Did God... Really say this? Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, God. There's no doubt. Did he really mean that? If we eat of this, we'll die. You won't die. You see, he's twisting. He's creating doubt. And he wants to do the same thing, I believe, when it comes to our own salvation. I think Satan is still whispering in our ears, even today. Did God really save you? If you're really saved, then why did you think this? Why did you, I don't know, why did I, am I saved? And so we begin listening to, we begin to have this dialogue, this internal dialogue with Satan. I'm not suggesting he speaks to you in your house, Don't, don't misunderstand me. But he whispers in our ear, maybe subconsciously, and creates the seeds of doubt. And so why does he even exist? Why is there someone who wants to mess up a good thing? Here's the answer. He hates God. See, before man was created, there was this war, I believe. It happened sometime in or around the garden. It's, it's interesting. Some people, when you look at the timeline, they say, Is it possible that Satan might have been the guardian cherub who was in charge of protecting the garden? Did God give Satan access to that garden as a guardian cherub, an angel? And that's when he approached Eve? We don't know. But we know this, that when Satan showed up, there is a very good chance that sometime around that time frame, there was a rebellion in heaven where God in his, in, in his love and his goodness, his throne was challenged by somebody who became prideful. They were beautiful and powerful. They were deceptive, and they employed others to also join him in a heavenly revolt. But he lost that battle. He betrayed God. He hates God. He hates God's creation, and he wants to see everything associated with God destroyed. And so that, I believe, is why he plants seeds of doubt in God's creation. God so desperately wants to save us and love us, and give us joy, but yet sometimes we listen to the whispering of Satan that creates doubts in our mind. Now, don't get me wrong, church. I believe that there's times where we need to take a very honest, hard look in the mirror and do an inventory of our spiritual life. Am I being obedient? Am I being faith-filled? Am I attending services? Am I doing the things God commands me to do to be an obedient child of God? Because we don't want to um, be disobedient, and deceive ourselves, but yet we also want to be confident in our own salvation. And so I think the doubt of of our own salvation is planted. That seed is in our mind that perhaps Satan plants there. What do you think, rhetorical question, what do you think most believers say when pondering if they will be welcomed into heaven? There may be a few who go, oh, I'm so excited and ready. I'm, I'm anxious and joyful. I think there's a lot of Christians, if we were to talk to them privately, you'd hear things like, I don't know, I, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I've messed up. I've sinned. One I hear a lot, have I, ju- have I done enough? Have I worked hard enough really to deserve heaven? Sound familiar? I have sinful thoughts. All right, let me go back and just be honest here and ask you a question. How many of us could say we've not done any of that, right? Guilty, right? Guilty, do we agree? I'm not good enough. I've messed up. I am a sinner. I've not done enough. Can we ever do enough to really earn heaven? Think about it. These are hard questions, aren't they? Can I really just work hard enough to get into heaven, just squeak in? I have sinful thoughts, guilty. See, on all of those, I have to say to the Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But is it my goodness, is it my hard work that gets me into heaven? See, this is the real crux of the question of what saves us. I don't think it's any of those things that make me good, that make me a candidate for heaven. You see, church, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's when I come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not good enough, and I've messed up. I am a sinner. I don't know that I'll ever be able to work hard enough to get into heaven. I have to concede that. I know I fail you and disappoint you, Lord, but you love me, and you covered me in your blood. Lord, I want to have faith to realize that you love me no matter what I do. The question is, do I have enough faith to believe that you're going to save me based on your goodness and that I tell others about your love and your grace and your mercy? Somehow we feel obligated that we have to work. We have to continue working hard to get the gift. But that doesn't make sense, does it? Do we have to work for a gift? The answer is no, we don't. That makes no sense whatsoever. A gift is a gift. But yet the reason we work is because we've received a gift. God has given us this gift, and now because we love him, we cherish him and appreciate what he's done, we work hard. I want to just talk about a song for a moment. This came to my mind uh, if you want to open your book, 221. The author of this song is Elizabeth Mills. Am I correct? Did we sing this song this morning? Wasn't that the last song we sang this morning? Oh, land of rest for the I sign. We'll work till Jesus comes. I think we did, didn't we? And so, wasn't that odd? I picked this out and then show up, and it's the last song we sang this morning. Elizabeth Mills. The first thing I want to point out about Elizabeth is that uh, I appreciate that she wants us to work. We all need to be working. A lot of the parables and stories of Jesus include laborers in the field, workers in the vineyard. Uh, those who are laboring for the Lord, where the master comes back to check and see what they're doing. Are they following his direction? So work is an important part of what we do. And and Miss King, uh, Elizabeth King Mills, um, the thing that I find interesting about this, look at the dates of her life. Anybody notice that? You do the math. She was 24 when she passed away. Am I doing the math right? Y'all help me out. Wasn't my best subject. 24. But yet she wrote several hymns that we sing today. And uh, this is a hymn that she wrote, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. Now, I thought as I was researching her and the song, it says, here's an excerpt from the website. The authoress was early called... To the realms of the blessed, this is a song she wrote, of which she sang so sweetly, and that she wrote this hymn a few weeks before her death. I I just think that's a fascinating story. I'd like to learn more about this woman. Now, unfortunately, when you research her biography on the internet, you can't find a picture of her. You really don't know much about her other than a young woman who lived in England, and her husband served in the parliament. He was a government official. But there was something very special about this young woman that she longed to be in heaven. She longed to be with the Lord. She wrote hymns. One of the hymns that she was dearly loved for was Realms of the Blessed, which I've been told was a children's song. But then she wrote uh, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. Let's sing that stanza. I have the refrain up here on the next slide. We'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. Great song. I love that song. Here's the question. Do we work to be saved or do we work because we love the Lord and we've been saved? See, that's really the question. I I want to challenge each of you to think about why do we work? Now, I don't know what they taught back in the 1800s when this young woman was alive. And I don't know how much they really understood grace. Now, I looked at the stanzas on number 221, stanza 1, 2, and 3, but I found a stanza in her original song that's not included in our text. Isn't that interesting? A lot of the songs, by the way, that we don't have in our book, uh, they're stanzas that weren't included. Here's one I want to share with you. No tranquil joys on earth I know, no peaceful sheltering dome. This world's a wilderness of woe. This world is not my home. That's kind of sad. It's almost a little bit depressing if you think about it. And I, I don't know, I, I, I would love to be able to sit down with this young woman, either on this side of the earth before she passed or, or maybe in the future and talked to her about her understanding of joy and peace and, and being with the Lord. She may have really longed to be with God and was kind of not so happy in this world. I don't know. Maybe she didn't feel the joy of her own salvation. But for whatever reason, uh, she left this earth at the age of 24. And left some legacies, some songs for us to sing, including ones we sing today at Stroudsville. No tranquil joys on earth I know. I don't know what she struggled with, but that's kind of a dark statement. No peaceful, sheltering dome. There's no shelter of protection that allows her to enjoy this life. This world's a wilderness of woe? Did she have a good day? I don't know. But she says at the end, this world is not my home. I don't know. Maybe the Lord took her home early because he saw a woman of great faith. But I want to ask a question. So we go through a difficult life. We struggle. But can we find joy in being saved even on this earth? Can we? I think that's the idea. I think God wants us to be happy about being saved even in a difficult life. Jesus talks about enter ye the narrow gate. Now, let me ask a quick question, another rhetorical question. Is the narrow gate an easy path? What do you think? Enter ye the narrow gate. Was that the way the majority of the world wanted to go, was a narrow gate? No. We're told the narrow gate brought hardship to the one who enters it. The narrow gate requires labor in his field. It is difficult. We're told that the faithful are assured that there will be suffering just like Jesus, our master. You see, when you come on board and become a disciple of Jesus, you're guaranteed suffering. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Put yourself to death. Deny yourself those fleshly pleasures that you may have pursued before. So what makes this life enjoyable? I think what makes this life enjoyable are two things. One, the hope and the joy of our own salvation, which we should not doubt. We should rather be excited about it. And two, longing to be in heaven, which is a guaranteed for us. That and the indwelling of his spirit, which gives us peace and joy. So the faithful are assured suffering. We know it's going to be a difficult walk. But don't let doubt cloud your judgment, your joy, and your hope. Can't we sing for joy along the way? Can't we sing and be excited about our own salvation? You see, church, that's where I want us to be collectively as a body of Christ, people who are joyful, people who are excited People who sing songs spontaneously and go down the road and say, Thank you, Lord, for loving me and making me one of your children. I'm longing to be in heaven, but I don't expect to be there today. But while I'm here on this earth, let me glorify you. Let me honor you. Let me bring praise and glory to your name. Let me tell others. Let's make our longing for home a joyful anticipation, not a dread of uncertainty. Let us be children who are joyful. Let us long for that warm embrace of the Father. Let us tell others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and how it's made a difference in our life. I hope I haven't rambled too much. I hope I've stirred some thoughts in your heart and made you think about your own salvation. Where do you stand? Are you comfortable? Are you ready? Are you excited? Are you able and at a point in your life to tell others about Jesus and his saving grace? The lesson's yours tonight. I pray that it'll touch someone's heart. We're going to offer an invitation song. If there's any way we can help you in your walk toward heaven, if there's any way we can help you, if you're struggling or stumbled or have relationship issues or need prayer for help or spiritual issues, we long to be able to pray for you tonight and help you. So we're going to stand and sing together. And I want to challenge you. Keep thinking about your own salvation. How do I feel? Am I confident? And Am I ready? If I'm near death, will I long to be for in heaven? And am I ready? Let's stand and sing together while Brian leads us.
1: Why keep Jesus waiting? Wait. Jesus waiting now
0: To take a Lord's Supper today, you go to room one. There'll be someone there to assist you. Any other final announcements? Not our closing song. Be first verse number five hundred. Number Five hundred. Just a few
1: more days to be filled with praise And to tell the old, old story Then when twilight falls and my Savior calls I shall go to Him in glory I'll exchange my cross for a starry where the gates swing outward, never at his feet, oh, lay every burden now, and with Jesus reign forever.
0: Will you buy one, please? Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for another opportunity to come together and worship you. Pray that you will help us to think upon the things that we've learned uh, this morning and this this evening. Please help us to be confident in our salvation. Help us to show others the joy that's in our lives. Help us to be the shining light that you'd have us be in this dark, cruel world which we live, that others may want to come to you for it's an everlasting too late. Help us never be ashamed of the gospel. No matter what the consequences here on earth, we will be victorious if we follow you till this life is over. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus and his willingness to come to this earth and live a perfect life as a man to overcome the many temptations he, was, he faced to ultimately give his life up on the cross for the remission of our sins. Help us to never take this sacrifice for granted and realize without this death, burial, and resurrection, we would have no hope of eternal life. Father, we're thankful for the progress of some of our sick, those who have been absent recently, and recovered from uh, various procedures and been able to be back with us, and we're thankful for that. We have... Many who are facing surgeries, procedures, in the coming weeks, and pray your blessings upon each and every one of them. And please be with their caregivers, the doctors and nurses who will be performing these surgeries and procedures, and please help them to do the things that are needed. That they will be uh, recovered soon, if it be your will. Father, we ask you continue to be with those who are. Bow down on the sorrow over the loss of loved ones. Especially pray for the King family at this time. Please uh, comfort and strengthen them as only you can do. Father, we ask you be with us as we're about to separate and go out into the world. and Pray that you will help us to live in such a way that is pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. Please give us when we fail you so many times. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.